We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode 1041 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Hope you are enjoying your Memorial Day. And to join me today is the one and only Ben Fennel. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. Figure that we would have maybe just a little bit more of a casual chat today. Go over some questions and answers, you know, from uh, fans who chimed in on Twitter with some great questions. And Ben, figure we could just kind of have a, a nice, fun weekend Memorial Day chat about the Green Bay Packers. I think that sounds good as we're here in kind of the dog days of summer, uh, just uh, waiting training camp in the next month or so. But we've had some guys out into the field over the past week or two. So uh, it's been exciting, but it's summertime. So keep it casual. Exactly. Exactly. I think it's always best this time of year, especially with, you know, I think everyone's maybe a little bit on the, you know, overwhelmed side from all the Rogers stuff going on. So let's keep it fun. Let's talk about, uh, again, a variety of different topics. I'm going to start, uh, Ben, with uh, our good friend, Big B, um, who started off, and I know this has been a question that a lot of Packer fans have had, and I've gone over it on the YouTube video, but it's, it's an interesting conversation nonetheless. Um, and the question is, is who do you guys think gets to play the nickel star corner and how do you see it playing out during the season? Uh, Jerry Gray this week in his press conference said that they had five guys uh, that they were potentially considering. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But what are some of the names, Ben, that maybe come to mind when you think of this nickel star position? Well, you have to think Darnell Savage is going to be kind of 
be the first on the pecking order to play that spot or at least give it a shot in training camp into the preseason. Uh, I think he does a better job down around the line of scrimmage with kind of less read and react on the back end. So maybe just let him stick in some man coverage on slot receivers, be a blitzer, use that explosive, you know, click and close point A to B type of speed. But the outside dark horse, I think is Shamar Jean Charles, the fifth round pick at App State, who has some really good toughness, some good play temperament to play inside, contribute and run support. Maybe just doesn't have that long speed you would want down the field, which traditionally makes you a great, you know, uh, possibility to come inside to that slot position where he could use his short area quickness and that toughness in combination. And then just this kind of group of safeties, whether it's Henry Black or Will Redman or even like a Chandon Sullivan, I think there's a bunch of guys that are uh, worthy of consideration at the spot. Yeah, I do. I think so as well. I just finished up uh, my extended breakdown of Shamar Jean Charles, and I don't know what your you know biggest one or two things on him were, but definitely felt like zone defense was his best fit. And I definitely think moving into the slot, even though he primarily played on the outside the last two uh, seasons, didn't play much in the slot all that much. But um, I definitely think him moving inside, playing within that zone scheme and that zone defense, I don't know that I would necessarily catapult him or expect him to catapult in year one to maybe that primary position, but definitely some I'm keeping my eye on uh, down the road, or as we know, Ben, if injuries happen through the course of the season. Yeah, I think he's one of those guys that just have a very high floor that you know you can get quality four core special teams play out of. He can play corner if you need. And I feel really comfortable about his ability to potentially transition to a safety interior star nickel role. Uh, so he's a pick and on day three, checking a lot of boxes as far as just being a high floor type of prospect. Let's talk just for a second about Chandon Sullivan, because I think he's one of the more interesting players to keep an eye on through the remainder of this offseason. The main reason, well, a couple of reasons. One, um, you know, in in OTAs this past week, uh, he kind of picked up right in his former spot where he was really all of the last two seasons, which was in that star nickel position uh, with the starters. Um, I wouldn't necessarily read too much into that. It, once training camp comes along, I think we'll know a little bit better of where they're thinking of, you know, playing different players, but he was in there right away with the, the nickel. Um, and then I think, you know, maybe more interesting is the, the Packers have some work to do still to get to a salary cap standpoint where they can actually field a practice squad and, and make moves throughout the course of the season and things like that. Shannon Sullivan's one of the actually rare ones who with his 2 million salary coming up this season, if they release him, there's no dead cap. They can get out of that without, um, you know, having to pay anything in dead money. So he's kind of in that interesting scenario where anything from him starting in the nickel as that slot corner to him not making the roster, because maybe a guy like Shamar Jean Charles or, you know, whomever, maybe Josh Jackson looks good. Could our Hallman KB and Ento who knows um, looks good. And they feel like he's expendable. I could see a scenario where he's not on the roster either. What was your just kind of take on Shannon solving these last couple of seasons and what he can bring to the table? Well, I felt like he was a really reliable player. I feel like he was a very baseline player, a very uh, consistent player week in and week out. Uh, just didn't really give you as many exciting plays on the defensive side as you had hoped, you know, especially having that pick six. I think in week two, you kind of thought he could be an exciting playmaker for that team at the nickel spot and just never really had the impact plays. But whether it's Shannon Sullivan, whether it's Kevin King, I think they feel really good about having them as their veteran starters. Now let's incorporate some competition to the rooms. Now let's incorporate some younger bodies into those spots and to see if maybe they can get dethroned from their current spots. So I think that's the name of the game with the NFL, particularly going into the draft before the draft, 
can you play a game and feel comfortable? And I think the Packers could have. Now let's add competition. Let's add youth. Let's add some exciting playmakers. And let's see where things go in training camp in the preseason and let the, the cream rise to the top, which is all about adding competition to incumbent starters. So I think they have a really good situation at corner, at nickel, at safety of just having a lot of options and a lot of good competition this summer. Yeah, I'm excited to see how that all plays out. The next few questions, Ben, were all in relation to kind of the the Joe Barry uh, defense, the scheme, things like that. So we'll start with real Eric Kay, um, who said, I would like to know if the Packers will be more of a zone team on defense and who will benefit most from that. And how does that affect Josh Jackson? Well, I think the interesting thing to recalibrate is they already were a very heavy zone team. Very little press man. And I know that may come as a surprise to a lot of people thinking we have Jair Alexander. Isn't he a speedy man cover corner? Yes. But he also has excellent play temperament to play zone, to come up and tackle in the flat, to be a force defender out on the perimeter and also find the ball deep down the field. So when you're playing a lot of quarters that cover four scheme or you're playing four across the back end, essentially that turns into man coverage after about seven, eight, nine yards into the route. So there's a lot of kind of hybrid tendencies with cover four and true man to man. But I think it's just really important for Packers fans to sit back in their chair, take a deep breath and say the defense this year schematically isn't going to be much different from Mike Pettin. Now there may be a couple tweaks on third downs or maybe some differences with where you play some people, maybe some philosophical differences in some down and distances and some uh, critical situations in the game. But the nuts and bolts, early downs, the general structure will be very similar to Mike Patton. And that means heavy, heavy zone coverage. Yeah, I thought that was more of, you know, one of the more interesting aspects of that hire is, you know, we talked ad nauseum last season about Mike Pettin, Ben, um, about how he was trying to operate his defense, very bend but don't break, trying to, you know, make the team go the length of the field. And it seems like Joe Barry is going to have a very similar philosophical approach. And, and this isn't anything new, right? This is something that we're seeing more and more throughout the course of the NFL. Uh, but it seems like it's very zone defense, very bend but don't break. Um, and I think we're going to see a lot of that same philosophical approach that we we saw with Mike Pettin, with Joe Barry, with, again, some of those nuances that you mm-hmm. pointed out. And now, Andy, the downside of that, there may be some frustrations on Sundays. So one of my favorite defenses in the league are the Indianapolis Colts. They play a ton of zone coverage. They are absolutely physical once they get to the ball carrier. They want to get eyes on the quarterback, hopefully force some fumbles. But they've allowed the most completions in the NFL over the last two years. That's the downside of zone coverage. Typically, more completions allowed but you're keeping it in front of you. You're preventing the ball going over your head. You're trying to prevent the explosive plays. Like you had said, force offenses to slow burn down the field in hoping that they're going to make the mistake or we're going to make the play before that big play is generated. So it may be frustrating on third and six to allow a completion at five yards and they run for two yards and get that first down. And on Sundays, that's incredibly frustrating. But you have to sit back and understand the general philosophy of zone coverage versus the general philosophy of man-to-man coverage. They each have pros and cons. This is the downside of zone coverage. So there's a lot of pros as well. So it's just important to remember, while it's frustrating, they allow a lot of completions. There are a lot of positives as well. Yeah, I I apologize if we've talked about this already, Ben, because I do way too much stuff and I forget who I talk about what (laughs) stuff with. But um, 
in my past life, I used to coach a lot of soccer and we talked about three zones of pressure. So in the, in the first third or in your attacking third, the other team gets the ball. You don't care. Let them dribble around, pass around as much as they want in that third of the field. You're not going to get hurt at that area of the field. In the second third, you're paying attention to things a little bit more, starting to mark people, but you're still kind of backing off, letting them kind of do what they want, just making sure that they're not getting crisp passes off, starting to pay attention a little bit more. And then in that final third and that attack, their end of the attacking third, you don't, it's high pressure. You're not allowing any shots. You're not allowing any crisp passes. You're making sure everyone's sound defensively and in their positions so that you can defend everything. And it's a fantastic way to approach things because your, your, your hope is in those first two thirds that they're going to just turn the ball over on their own, that they're going to kick a ball out of bounds, that they're going to uh, have a pass that goes awry, whatever the case may be. You're not super concerned about, uh, over it. You're going to hope that they turn it over on their own. Then in that final third, you pick up the pressure, you pick up the intensity, the field gets a little bit shorter. And to me, this is, it's an apples to apples comparison to what teams are doing in the NFL. Listen, if you want to complete some easy completions in the first third of the field, have at it. We think you're going to screw something up along the way. The second third, all right, we're focused. We're paying a little bit more attention but still, if you want to do some dunk, dump offs, hand the ball off, things like that, so be it. We still think we're going to hold you at least to a field goal. And then you get into that red zone or the 30 yard line and in, and now the defense intensifies. You're making sure you're not trying to allow points and you're making sure that again, you're either holding to a field goal or trying to get a turnover. Uh, but again, with the idea being that the, if the team can go the entire length of the field without screwing it up or making them turn the ball over, now we're going to intensify things, try to hold to a field goal and, and do our best from that regards. I think it's very similar. Yeah, I think that's really fair. And another caveat of that is I think the zone coverage is easier to understand and get younger talent onto the field. Mm. I think it's less stressful uh, to that if you have an injury or maybe you have a really tough physical presence on the defensive side, incorporating incorporating him into a zone scheme, I've found over the last four or five years to be a little bit easier of a transition than a maybe a complicated pressure man scheme uh, that we've seen as well. Yeah, I think that's a very astute point. All right, the next one is in a very similar vein. Um, I'm Mosley says, going to a buried defense, will any guys see their roles change significantly? And does the scheme affect? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The defensive line at all. You know, that's a really good question. I'm interested to see if they maybe let some of those defensive linemen loose a little bit more up the field. Uh, not to say that that's what they did in St. Uh, in Los Angeles with the Rams uh, for the most part. But I just feel like guys like Lowry, Lancaster, you know, TJ Slate and those types, 
are all those line of scrimmage dwellers where it's a lot of read, read the run first, kind of post up your gap and then convert to the pass if you need to. As opposed, I'd like to see a little bit more of an upfield disruption that they've let Kenny Clark kind of go be that rat to go get up the field and maybe chase the quarterback out or disrupt blocking schemes. I think more good things happen when you can disrupt up the field. So I would like to see the defensive line, given that proverbial green light a little bit more to go up the field and just try to make plays in opposing backfields a little bit more in 2021. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma Money Spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC, maximum balance and transfer limits apply. I think that's fair. I think one of the things that I noticed, and maybe the issue is why they didn't do more of this, is I feel like Kenny Clark did that. But then the rest of those guys that you mentioned, the Tyler Lancasters, the Dean Lowry's, you know, the, the rest of that group, they couldn't do the same. So like Kenny Clark would get up the field. Everyone else would still be at or behind the line of scrimmage. And now it basically just opened up a hole where either a, the quarterback could step up in the pocket or B um, the, the running back could just kind of run through that gap that was now vacated. So I almost feel like they kind of held back Kenny Clark and said, you know what, don't do as much disrupting because the rest of the guys can't get up field like you could. And they just didn't have that take team partner for him, which is again, why one of the reasons I've been, and a lot of people have been screaming to maybe get him another playmaker inside to play a alongside of them yeah and when you want a real true two gapping run plugging nose tackle like a Lancaster or a TJ Slayton those are a certain type you know you, you want them heavy you want them stout at the point of attack it's tough to all of a sudden tell a 330 pounder <laughs> that doesn't move off his spot to say go have a good first step and get up the field that's really not what they looked for at the position. So they have a certain type of that, at that position that they certainly covet. I think TJ Slayton fits that mold of Tyler Lancaster to kind of continue that previous philosophy of just holding down the line of scrimmage. I just think Slayton has a little bit more football and a little bit more excitement in his game that could be a, a better pro than Lancaster has turned out. Could not agree with you more. Um, this one is is maybe too much in the same vein, and maybe I'm, I'm beating too much of a, a horse that we've already covered here, but uh, Scotland Packers says, which defensive players are likely to benefit from the change in scheme, and are there any players that could re regress, excuse me, as a result of the scheme? So I'll start with this one, Ben, and just kind of recap all three of those. The, the player that I'm most intrigued by, and you kind of mentioned it earlier, is Darnell Savage. I'm really interested to see, do they use him more in that nickel slot role? Like you mentioned, I think he's much better more near the line of scrimmage, just being able to use his instincts and in attacking and playmaking uh, more to, to his advantage and to the Packers advantage. 
I think if they start using a lot of two deep safeties and he's just kind of covering his zone of the field, I think he'd be fine in that role, but I almost think that you're not necessarily doing him any favors by having him play in that system. At the same token, I know they like to disguise a lot of stuff and almost move uh, post-snap where their safeties are moving. And I think Darnell Savage could be used very well in that regards as well. But um, I'm very, very intrigued on how they use Savage as one of the core players where I'm just kind of how this scheme um, kind of either, you know, utilizes him or, or just where they play him ultimately. Yeah, he was really fortunate to not only have Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald on his Rams defense the past couple of years, but their two safeties played out of their mind last yeah. year and John Johnson and rookie Jordan Fuller. So that cover four quarter scheme is stressful on the safeties as they have a lot of run responsibilities and they're still back end players. So they have to really be savvy in both regards. So we have Adrian Amos. So I feel great about in that role. I think Darnell Savage is the big question mark to say, are you a back end safety? Are you going to come down and play that star? Are you just a sub package nickel player at this point? And if he is one of those slots or stars, who is going to be that safety that's a critical position next to Adrian Amos, which I think could maybe be a Vernon Scott, uh, could maybe be a Will Redman. Uh, I think there's a couple options in there, and I think it's a really kind of point of emphasis this summer in figuring out that safety spot and just getting some more solidification at the back end, whether it's the linebackers, the safeties, the corners, just having a real consistent presence, I think is going to be important because there's a lot of bodies looking at the depth chart right now to say, where does Stokes work into this? You know, where does Savage work into this? you know, where does John Charles work into this? There's a lot of interesting options, a lot of interesting linebackers as well, whether it's Burks or Summers or Martin or Barnes, who's going to be that core fixture on the defense. So I just would love to see stability consistency on the back end. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting. And uh, again, for whatever it's worth in OTAs, again, Shannon Sullivan was lined up in that slot. Um, neither Jair or King or Jair wasn't there. King wasn't practicing. So um, it was Stokes and I believe Jackson on the outside, if I remember correctly. And then uh, at safeties, it was Savage. It was Savage and Amos, but then uh, they were actually dropping Amos um, into the box a little bit, almost as that, you know, nickel linebacker next to Chris Barnes. And then in that situation, Will Redmond was the safety that came in and play next to Darnell Savage. Again, don't read too much into this for anyone listening, just an OTA practice with some players missing, but um, definitely seemed like Will Redmond was one of the players that got one of those first opportunities. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to track all summer, but obviously it's early. It's only going to be uh, of emphasis when you have a full slate of the roster to evaluate. So uh, right now is a lot of the young guys, a lot of the core guys weren't there. So definitely take that with a grain of salt. A million percent. All right. Our very own Jacob Westendorf asked, uh, how often will they use the pony package with Jones and Dylan this year? And do you see this being something that's contingent upon a running back three emerging? Yeah, I would expect to use it a lot, you know, considering their uh, uptick in 21 personnel, whether it was the pony package of, you know, Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones last year, working in Tyler Irvin, which is a lot of conversation on whether you want to call him a running back or a slot receiver. But I think just finding and continuing to have as many diverse personnel groupings as possible, uh, whether it's going to be Aaron Jones and Dylan. Don't be surprised to see Aaron Jones and Amari Rogers working out of the backfield yeah. together, or even a guy like Kylan Hill, who I think would be a great third down presence, maybe a little 
little bit more than an AJ Dillon. He could be a guy that comes onto the field in some sub, uh, some sub packages and some third down looks in the pass game that I think has a lot of upside as well to contribute, whether it's just in pass protection or just catching the ball or the screen game. So while AJ Dillon maybe doesn't have the profile of being a true pass game weapon, neither did Jamal Williams. But when you use them in corporation with the offensive design, with all the misdirection, I just remember, I think it was the Lions, not maybe the Vikings game week two, where they faked the bubble screen to Aaron Jones and threw Jamal Williams a little screen underneath and had a 15, 20 yard touchdown. I could definitely see AJ Dillon sliding right into that role. But to answer Jacob's question collectively, keep adding as many diverse personnel groupings as possible. Keep defenses off balance and just make sure it's still within the framework of the offense, which I thought Matt LaFleur did an excellent job last year doing. Yeah. It was one of my favorite aspects of just how he kind of handled the the entire offense a season ago. It was just, there was never, there was never anything where he just kept going too much to the well. There was always something new. There was always something fresh um, to the point where like, what was it? It was week one or week two last season two, where they started using all the jet motions. I think it was week one against the Vikings mm-hmm. um, or whatever it was. And then, so they kept going to all of it. And then we barely saw that much of it through the remainder of the season. But and then, you know, we saw some pony package early in the season. We saw it again against the Rams in the uh, divisional round. Like um, he, he brought different things out in different weeks. He always had a different concept to attack teams with based on their defensive personnel. And I think that, as you mentioned, Ben to, to perfection, I think diversity is the thing. I don't think, you know, the pony package, package might be something that shows up a few times per game. It's never going to be like this. Um, you know, we're running 30 snaps of pony package any given game, but I still think it can be effective when they use it. And I've gone on record as saying, I think the first, uh, first snap of the year, uh, I think Jones and Dylan will be on the field is my, is my bold prediction here. So I'm, I'm excited to see how they use it. And Andy, one of the big differences with like just the play calling and just the, uh, the sequencing of LaFleur and Mike McCarthy, because Mike McCarthy had some diverse personnel stuff, diverse play calls, with Matt LaFleur, it never seems forced. Yeah, It always seems like it's just a natural flow in the offense, a natural flow in his play sequencing. It seemed like the previous plays all fed and led to this play or this personnel grouping. With McCarthy, it almost seemed like the diversity was a, they were going A, B, and C, and all of a sudden they worked in a G formation. Or this entire drive, they put Cobb in the backfield. Like they forgot about doing that, so let's go and use it this drive where it seemed like it was such a left-hand turn for what they had been doing the previous drives, where it gave off that aesthetic feel that diversity was forced with Mike McCarthy. He had it in his play calling. He had it on the play sheet. They practiced it. But as far as incorporating it into games, felt so much more unnatural when Mike McCarthy was calling it as opposed to LaFleur. So I've absolutely loved watching LaFleur's offense and just how seamless he could work in all the diverse elements into the offense. Yeah. Mike McCarthy used to talk quite a bit about tendency breakers and it almost felt like his use of some of that stuff was simply that just to break tendency, just to do something different, not to work within the rest of the you know framework and flow of the offense where it seems like Matt LaFleur can call just about the exact same play out of about 20 different personnel mm-hmm. packages. And then how he calls it on one play um, again, as you mentioned, sets up another play later, either in that drive, it might be the next play. It might be three quarters from that play. Mm-hmm. Um, but Either way, it flows together so well. I, I love his offensive mind and how he's put this. Me too. The two that together. come to mind are the Cobb in the backfield packages yep. and the full house packages. Yes. Seemingly, they would have one, two, three, four drives in a game working their offense one way. 
And all of a sudden that fifth drive, they throw something completely new for the entire drive. Uh, but it never really felt natural to the offense. Now it's certainly a tendency breaker, certainly throws defenses off balance. It just never felt natural in the play sequencing. Yeah, I think that's a million percent right. All right, next one, uh, John the Vegan says, are, are all these interior offensive line picks, or with all these offensive t- interior offensive line picks, does that mean Elton Jenkins must be the right tackle of the future? Well, it's certainly seemingly that is seeming that way. Um, and he might even be the left tackle of the future and the more <laughs> near future, uh, which we've seen yep. apparently rumored to be at the camp the past couple of days as the starting left tackle in place for the injured David Bakhtiari, who I believe is uh, in the midst of his bachelor party right now, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, happy for you out there, Bakhtiari. But um, yeah, I think Elton's versatility is certainly valuable. It's certainly shouldn't be understated considering he's already played up and down the offensive line. It's two short years in the NFL. I would love to see him at that one of those guard spots for the next 12, 15 years and never look back. But as we know, the more you can do for an offensive line group, the better. So I think he's proven to be an all pro caliber guard. I would hate to then say, well, let's see how you look somewhere else for a whole season. He can do it. I would just rather trust with what we've seen and let him focus and really be that incumbent all pro type of guard that we've seen. But as we know, there's injuries, as we know, a lot of other candidates on the inside aren't as versatile as he is. So it is what it is right now. I think he can play right tackle in this league. He probably can play left tackle, but I think I prefer him at guard. Hey everyone. I want to tell you about blue wire hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at blue wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or, if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch, or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. Yeah, I think it's a, you know, it's a tool that he has in his toolbox. And I think if in a, in a I don't know, maybe ideal world is the wrong term, but like, I think over the next two years, obviously David Bakhtiari and Billy Turner are both under contract the next two seasons. And I think what likely would be to happen if both are healthy is Bakhtiari stays at left tackle, Turner stays at right tackle, Elton stays inside. Um, and then you probably have Josh Myers be your center. And then that other guard spots up for grabs, whether it be a Lucas Patrick or Royce Newman, um, you know, John Runyon Jr., Simon Stepaniak, et cetera, et cetera. Those are kind of the ones that are being fought after a little bit more. Uh, but I do think 
that it's again, a, a tool that they can go to whenever they need it. And we know that Matt LaFleur is not hesitant to say, we're going to get our best five out there in any way, shape or form necessary um, and give us the best opportunity to win. We also have seen dependent upon who the opponent is, um, you know, sometimes Jenkins might be lined up at one spot and then against a different opponent with the same group out there, he might be lined up at a different spot. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's worked so far and, and if it's not broken, don't fix it. And Elton Jenkins is really already insanely amazing just for his versatility and uh, really unlike anyone else in the league to be able to play all five spots at a pretty high level. And, and I think you don't necessarily go away from that if that if that's what you need to and, do. And in a weird way, he's almost his own worst enemy. Yes. Because I've talked to Elton. I know the type of guy that he is. He's the ultimate of whatever you need. I know I was playing left guard. All right tackle went down. I got it. Well, you need left tackle. I got it. I wouldn't be surprised if he said if, if they had too many injuries on the defensive side. <laughs> I got it. What do you need? So, you know, one of those guys, obviously young, you should have that attitude. But I wonder if he put his foot down a little bit more and said, hey, you know what? I'm a guard. I'm not going to look like an idiot at right tackle this week, a position I haven't played in years. I'm going to call it my agent this week and go, you know, let him know about it, that they're trying to move me all around after being a pro bowler. He's not one of those guys. He's one of those that are just whatever you need, guys, left side, right side, center. There's no panic in him, which you absolutely love, just that competitive fire and just that calmness of saying, you know what, guys, don't worry about it. I got it. Yeah, it's, he's a special player, and obviously Green Bay made a great selection with him in the second round a couple seasons ago, and he's only going to continue to get better. And maybe it does hurt his progression a little bit if he has to keep moving around, but um, I don't know. If he doesn't get that much better and he just kind of keeps playing at the same level he is now over the next however many years, uh, I think you would, most teams would take that in and of itself. All right, uh, next question. Green Bay Gary 54 says, how much of the uh, McCarthy Rogers offense did you still see in your film study from this past season? Was there still uh, signs of it or has it mostly been nuked out of there? It's all, all but nuked out of there for the most part, but it's just important for fans to remember any cool play that you saw Matt LaFleur run over the past two years. I promise you Mike McCarthy has run that in Green Bay. Yep. Now, the play sequencing, the balance of play calling is complete night and day. There is a true foundational system under Matt LaFleur, and that's the run game. When you lean on and start every game with establishing the run and everything feeds off of that. So there's certainly a foundation. There's an identity. There's very little you know, kind of exotic nature to his offense, as opposed to like a Andy Reed, which is coming up with new schemes and new route concepts and seemingly plays that the NFL has never mm-hmm. seen before on a week to week basis. That really isn't Matt LaFleur. So I think it's just important for people to know whatever he's doing, Mike McCarthy has done, whether even if it's a cool play, even if it looks kind of creative, I promise you Mike McCarthy has run it. Even all those running back verticals that we've seen, Mike McCarthy ran those too, but the sequencing and how he gets to those plays complete night and day. And the best thing that last year with McCarthy, 2018, running the ball nearly 32nd in every volume category. So that's running total, total attempts, percentage running on first and 10. Matt LaFleur pulled that back to about the middle of the league in 2019. And now he's about in the middle of the top 10 after 2020. So he's been able to instill balance back to the offense. But as far as the scheme, as far as the plays, not a whole lot new in Green Bay. No, that's a really fair and and really. And not to mention Andy really quick, the quarterback position. 
his style of play has changed just a little bit over the last 18 months that all feeds into this new age offensive floor. So now you have a quarterback playing within structure a little bit more that allows you to see the structure of the offense a little bit more. So that also kind of goes uh, hand in hand with the new age offense. Yeah, it really does not to get too far into the weeds, but if, if Rogers does end up on another team, I'm going to just be so intrigued to see what style of offense he ends up having to run. How does he run it? Does it look the same as some of the stuff he did with LaFleur? It's, it would all be so interesting, but obviously we're all hoping that's not the case, but um, would be an interesting case study if it ended Percentage up. Percentage chance he's the Packers starter in September. Uh, I'm going to say... I'm going to say 65%. I will say this. I say there's a 65% that he's the, a chance that he's the Packers starter. And I'm going to tell you that I say that with 0% confidence. (laughs) How about you? That's a great answer. I'll say 98%. Yeah. I I don't disagree with you. I, I, I think the, the most obvious solution is probably the most likely here. The only reason I hesitate is because there's people that are on the beat and closer to the team than I am that are dead set that he will not come back to the team. It doesn't mean they're right. It doesn't mean that it's coming from a source that they know is unequivocally true or anything like that. It's just, there's a couple of people that I know who are pretty, pretty dug in that he's not coming back, which gives me a little bit of pause. But if I were a betting man, like I said, I, I would be betting that he's back starting day one. Uh, but again, my, my level of confidence isn't super great. I feel like we need to do like a, uh, like a daily confidence just to know like where you're at, like those kind of mood ratings, like yes. how are you feeling today type of deal and just constantly kind of move the flag left and right to let, let everybody know how we're feeling. And I've, I've said this on the YouTube video on multiple occasions uh, of like, I have a feeling this is going to ebb and flow so many times over the course of the next couple of months where there's going to be a report that comes out or a tweet that comes out or something. And you're going to be like, oh, he's a million percent going to be a Packer. And then like a week later, it'll be the exact opposite. And you're like, well, he's out of here. No chance he plays again. And it'll go <laughs> back and forth about a hundred more times. I'm ready for it. <laughs> Same here. Why not? Uh, definitely makes for, for good conjecture and conversation, if nothing else. All right. Uh, uh, SM Samad eight, I guess says, does a undrafted free agent make the 53 man roster this year? And who do you think has the best shot of doing so? Oh, that's a pretty good question. You know, I think some of the offensive linemen are certainly interesting with their experience and versatility with if, whether it's a, you know, a Jacob Cabra at a San Diego state, or maybe a Koi Kronk that played a lot of ball for Indiana and then came over to Iowa for that one year as a grad transfer. He's a guy that looks like he'd be comfortable playing tackle in the NFL or being a reserve tackle immediately. So maybe that gives, you know, a Zach Johnson or a Nijaman a run for his money as far as being that eighth, ninth, 10th offensive lineman on the depth chart. The one interesting one I think is Christian Upoff. Yeah. Uh, the undrafted safety out of Illinois state was down at the senior bowl, pretty athletic presence that I think he has a high floor and that at the very end of the day, he's going to be a core and a quality special teamer for you. And then can play a number of roles uh, at that safety position. He, he's experienced on the back end. He's also played some dime linebacker down in the box. So he's a guy I think can wear a number of hats for you. He's a really athletic profile and that has that high floor of just being a very reliable special teamer. Even Carlo Kemp out of Michigan has played a lot of good ball up in the Big Ten that I, I'm looking at the interior defensive line group and saying, I don't see any, there's any reason why he maybe couldn't give, uh, you know, uh, Bronson Kafusi or an Anthony Rush a run for his money and kind of sneak his way onto the roster. Yeah, that'd be an interesting one as well. I feel, I feel like Uphoff, 
Um, just, and I'm not going to pretend that I've seen much of his tape yet at, at this point, but um, I will say this, if you look at just a position, we mentioned some of those players from earlier, um, whether it be a Henry Black, a Vernon Scott, a Will Redmond, to me at safety right now, the only two players that I can lock in and say they're going to be on the roster unequivocally 150 or 100% for sure on that 53 man roster is, is Darnell Savage and Adrian Amos. If you told me that somehow Will Redmond, Vernon Scott, Henry Black didn't end up on the 53, I wouldn't say like, wow, that's completely shocking to me. I expect Vernon Scott to be there. I think Henry Black and Will Redmond both have a really good chance, especially with Will Redmond being a core special teams guy, but um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't lock it in either. So to me, there's opportunity there for if, if all of a sudden Uphoff performs well and looks good for them to say, you know what, we're going to take a look at this guy and give him a shot where maybe we already kind of know what a, a Will Redmond brings to the table. I'm really excited. If I had to pick one guy on the back end that kind of project to take a huge leap uh, this upcoming year, just based on, I think his play time and the opportunity is Vernon Scott. Yeah that I thought they really trusted him towards the back end of the year, especially with some of those dime looks where he's that dime linebacker. He's a tough kid. Uh, he's a good special teamer. I just think he's a guy that just looking at what he did his rookie year in 2020 and then kind of projecting forward and seeing an availability for another safety kind of next to Amos, if Savage does go down to that star role, I think Vernon Scott could surprise us not only with his involvement in the defense, but maybe being a really good defender once he's out there. And I know he's had the injuries, which is, I'm sure, a big reason why he's not back. But to me, the biggest reason why Raven Green isn't on this team right now is because I feel like they feel they already have a guy that can do a lot of the same things, if not potentially at a higher level and hopefully at a healthier level of play in, in Vernon Scott. Yeah, thousand percent, Andy. All right. So last couple of questions here. Um, I figured you would like this one, Ben. Uh, Trevor Mackey asks, what are the most important tools that aspiring evaluators must have in their tool belt? The, the evaluators must have in their tool belt? Yes, aspiring talent evaluators. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think understanding some philosophical approaches when studying these players, and one that I really harp on, you've seen me mention on Twitter a number of times, uh, is understanding the limitations of the tape so that you could watch every snap and every piece of movement that these players have ever done. But you also have to remember they're people. And the people aspect of this business is huge and is important in every industry. So figuring out all the other things that the tape doesn't tell you, who the human being is, who the coworker is going to be, the teammate, who the locker room guy is, how smart or how dumb he is, um, you know, figuring out all the stuff you can't just figure out by watching the tape is an important part of their evaluation you don't always have the answers to that. So it's just understanding there is some limitations to evaluating these players if all you're doing is watching the tape. So that's just one of the kind of caveats of just saying, you know what, always leave room for the unknown. Always leave room to say, you know what, I could be wrong. Always leave room for the opportunity to learn more about a player, about a person, um, and I think just not being stubborn with what you see in your own, you know, evaluation and uh, the way you kind of project these players, I think is really healthy. I think just too often we're so prideful in what we see and so prideful in our opinions that we get a little bit diluted in the truth sometimes or the facts. So just understanding that you may not have all the answers and um, always be willing to learn more and always be willing to say, you know what, I'm wrong about what I saw before. 
I think that's all kind of part of the process. That's a great question. That's something I would really have to think about. Yeah, it's, it's a good answer. And uh, one, talking about the people, I definitely think you're speaking Aaron Rodgers language a little bit there, talking about the people and amongst the process and how uh, important the people are. But um, I actually did an article two years ago before the draft, um, kind of alluding to that. One, that this isn't just about the tape evaluation, but two, just how much NFL teams know that we don't when we're going into a draft. Because even if, uh, again, if we've spent a ton of time digging into the tape and watching the tape and, and figuring everything out. Um, that is such a, I don't want to say a small piece cause it's definitely a, a major piece of the puzzle. But when you talk about um, you know, even, even just seeing a player in person and, and having these scouts who know like, all right, is this player uh, who's now what six, five, two fifty, or whatever the case may be, is he six, five, two fifty and maxed out or is he six, five, two fifty and can go up to six, five, two seventy five without missing a step? Like, is he still going to get like, I know this is a, again, I keep going to different sports here, but like, how you can look at a Giannis Atetokounmpo at 18 years old and playing in Greece and being like, yep, that's guy, that guy's going to be the most hulked out, freaked out player in the history of basketball when he looks like 115 pounds dripping wet at the time. Um, like just knowing that sort of thing as to how much bigger they can get. And then of course, going into the minutia and the details of just how much do they love the game? How much do they want to play? How much do they want to get better? Are they good character? Are like, they going to help the locker room? Like the, the, all of that stuff. And I'm just going over a couple of things here and there's a million more that we could dive into even further but the the tape is a piece of it and even if their tape looks great um there's so many other aspects that go into it when teams are making that decision injuries another one um just a lot that goes into that yeah so i worked uh college football games for espn for six years and it's a privilege to be able to go out to games and walk around the field and pre-game warm-ups and see a lot of the players close up but I felt like I wasn't acquiring enough information. So I found one of the scouts over at the Philadelphia Eagles two summers ago and said, teach me everything I can learn about just looking at a player walking around. And it was a really interesting conversation. And that, that's when you really get into body types. And like you had mentioned, the ability to put on weight, put off weight, whether you're maxed out, whether you have room to grow. Um, and then just talking about body types, whether a guy is bow-legged or not, whether he's high cut, how he's proportioned. You know, you can be 300 pounds and be proportioned 10 different ways with 10 different players. So in order to, to kind of differentiate and describe body types is a really interesting kind of nuance to just looking at players, not the tape, not, you know, between the whistles, but just a guy walking around in shirts and shirts and shorts. Um, so I wanted to be able to acquire more information. And then it's the other aesthetic stuff. You know, when does he come out in pregames? Who is he working with? Is he encouraging the younger guys? All that leadership stuff as well to acquire. So there's some very interesting and deep conversations you can get into away from just studying these guys on the film. And it could be very interesting. It could be very kind of in the weeds and convoluted as well. But it's a deep process. And I promise you don't know what you don't know. So surrounding yourself with people you trust and respect is all part of this business. Don't ever just say, you know what, I'm going to close the door, study, study, study. And because I studied, I'm going to come out an expert. That's not how this industry works. You have to constantly surround yourself with other minds and other perspectives in order to hone your own. And that kind of goes for other walks of life, too. And just making sure you're willing and um, available to keep learning in life. And I think that kind of goes across a lot of platforms. I think that's really great advice. And I think it was 
uh, when you did the podcast with Fran uh, talking about Ben Cleveland of how I think it was uh, Deontay Brown and Ben Cleveland, but correct me if I'm wrong of how two players around six, four, three fifty that are carrying that six, four, three fifty and just, uh, just a slightly different way. Andy Ben Cleveland is a lumberjack. Yep. This guy, his waist looks like it's as big as mine. <laughs> and then his chest and arms just grow and grow and grow. Does not look like I can grab his stomach at all. There is no fat on this guy, but then you go over to Deontay, brown same height same weight he's got a lot to grab on that body let me tell you it comes in a completely different package so uh, i think it's really fun to talk about body types and things like that something we do all the time at training camp and watching guys in pregame especially offensive linemen and defensive linemen and evaluating which you got to be a grown-up sometimes when you're talking about their butts whose butt looks different why are offensive linemen are their pants baggy because they don't have that bubble in their butt. It just talks about how their weight is proportioned. You always want offensive linemen or their butt is filled out. If they have a baggy butt, typically they don't have a thick or a strong lower half. That means they potentially don't play with as much power, struggle to anchor and things like that. But when you have the baggy lower half, typically are a little bit more athletic. You can move faster. So different strokes for different folks, but trying to figure out and see and assess just body types is a really fun conversation. Yeah, one that I'm sure we could go on uh, ad nauseum for uh, probably a, a few more hours to say the least. But uh, Ben, I know it's a holiday weekend. I want to get you out of here. Any final thoughts before we leave? No, not particularly. I think it's crazy. We're two days away from June, so I'm already getting the itch for a full training camp. I'm hoping as many players uh, show up on time as possible. I know we have some interesting scenarios in Green Bay with the quarterback and a couple of other big name guys entering contract years like uh, Devontae Adams. Um, but I'm excited for this 21, 2021 team. I think once we get through the weeds of all the dog days of summer narratives and soap operas, and we start talking football and projecting forwards so of who's going to make this team and who's going to really compete and who, you know, might not make this team. I'm ready to talk football at this point, Andy. So let all <laughs> the, uh, let all the Hollywood soap opera storylines kind of, uh, you know, play themselves out over the next month or so. And let's uh, strap up in July. I could not agree more. I would, like I've said over and over and over, I'd rather be doing 45 minute podcasts about Reggie Begleton than I would about Aaron Rodgers situation and who's thinking what, but of course it's the most important topic in sports right now. So it's not like we can exactly ignore it. Uh, but Ben, I appreciate you as always. Fantastic stuff as always. Hope you enjoy the rest of your holiday weekend. I will talk to you in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy. I'm sure we'll be in touch soon. For those listening, do the exact same. Hope you're enjoying your holiday weekend. Uh, make sure to check out the YouTube video. If you have not already, same thing, 365 days a year, uh, but I'm usually the one doing it about 15 minutes a day. So make sure to check that out. You can search YouTube pack a day podcast. If you have not subscribed here, uh, wherever you get your favorite podcast, make sure to do so. And if you want to leave us one of those five-star reviews, we would certainly forever be in your debt as well. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, and as always go Paco.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.